0: My name is Bob, and I'm an addict. <laughs> I don't know which mic is, is li- which one's live. Both of them. No, no. This. One? Okay. I probably won't need a mic, but I mean, uh, use a mic so people can hear. Uh, for those of you who don't like to like to speak into a mic, uh, you're giving a message. Uh, how can you trans- uh, give that message unless somebody can hear it? I don't, you know, I'm just uh, kind of uh, flabbergasted or just uh, thrilled to death to be here. The first time of being in the state of of Vermont. One of those destinations that you go to and say you have to be going there, you just don't pass through. (laughs) And that's okay. That's all right. And I don't know where I'm going with this here. You know, talking about the message of, of Narcotics Anonymous and the message of hope. Because my, uh, have a long and varied story in the process. Had a long period of addiction, active addiction, and I've been clean now over 41 years. Yeah. But I came to Narcotics Anonymous 43 years ago. And I want to set the the record straight, as I always tell people. When you read it in the book, it said, I found the only meeting in the world. I have to give credit to my ex, because she found the meeting. I just sent her to it. And uh, (laughs) she got tired of my shit and told me I better got to do something. And there were a few places to go for recovery from this thing called addiction in 1959. It was almost an impossibility to even get somebody to talk to you. If you told them you was a narcotics addict. They didn't want to talk to you. They didn't want to hear it because they said you were full of shit. fact is they knew nothing about addiction, and I think that's one of the things that we have to give credit to. Uh, just within the last 25 to 30 years have society learned anything about this thing called addiction and recovery from. So we come a long way since that date when I first walked in the doors of Narcotics Anonymous. As I said, I have a long history prior to that in terms of drug use and that period of time in which we practiced this thing called addiction. And we come back quite legitimately in terms of the circumstances and find ourselves into the throes of our addiction and uh, not knowing what's happening. Most of us, like myself, I say, came into the, this thing called addiction out of ignorance. But I had a lot of things that went with it in order to prepare me for this journey called addiction. I was born in the wrong place at the wrong time, with the wrong parents, with all the wrong situations. <laughs> I know you had your bag of shit like I had my bag of shit that we carried around for years. (laughs) That we'd expose to anybody that would listen to us as to why we became and why we remained an addict over the period of time that we used and and abused and done all the things we did. We had to lay it out to them as to uh, if you had been here and done the things that happened to me, uh, you'd probably been an addict too. And we use that as a good excuse, to, you know, to, for this journey that we're going to take. I was originally born in Cleveland, Ohio. That might have been one of the faults. <laughs> as you know, that was the run of many jokes through the years. If you lived in Cleveland, anything possibly could happen, you know. And it did. See, I was born before the Depression before the market crash, So they're going to give you age, give me an age difference for where I'm going from. You know, uh, during the Depression and say in that period of time and during Prohibition, y'all know anything about Prohibition? <laughs> I didn't think so, but it's okay. I was just a kid growing up anyhow. You know, and I seen them five-gallon cans, you know, that they used to take and uh, pour out of into glass jars and uh you know, and they'd be hustling and dumping uh, this corn liquor and stuff, you know, and it was a grand, grand business, you know, uh, at that time. But I knew nothing about it because uh, a kid growing up doesn't particularly be concerned about those particular things. So all he wanted was a crust of bread and, and a place to uh, be, uh, say that, uh, Mama, I need a little love or something like that of that nature. And some of us, you know, this is who we develop to become, you know, we develop our character very young. We start reacting to the things around us. And I was one of these kids that very sensitive. Pops had left home real early. Moms were left to raise the kids. To, you know, house and to feed and to take care of and do all those things that mothers are supposed to do. Mothers may be supposed to do it, but sometimes mothers are not prepared to do those things because they have to get that information from somewhere, and if they don't have the information coming to them, how can they pass it on? I couldn't find out until after i got been away from home a lot of years that some of the things that I was asking for at home or wanted at home or wanted in that kind of a setting where moms pose the issue out, I wasn't getting my issue called love. Love was not spoken in my house. The words were not spoken in my house. I can never remember my mother ever telling me that she'd love me. Ever. And I didn't come to find out or come to no understanding of that to many years after I've been clean that my mother, her mother died when she was four years old. She didn't get too much love to pass on in her career growing up, either. So, how can she pass on to something she didn't have? Another thing was, she didn't talk about feelings. She had nobody to confide in to carry, but talk about what she was feeling. We didn't talk about feelings in my household. It's called do what I say do, period. And if you don't, you're going to get a good ass whipping. Mom kept things in control called by keeping things in in line. She got a good ass whipping is what you had coming. And I asked for many of those ass whipping because that was better than no attention at all. Bob was always vying for some attention from somewhere and didn't care how he got it. Uh, he would ask for it by many means. And it usually was a case of doing something that mom said not to do. I didn't know, you know, we don't find out of many of the things that happen in our lives and the character that we become until much later in our journey. And when we're able to piece it all together and look at what happened during our lifetime. I was a constant one looking for mamas, just mamas, mama, 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 mama. Yeah, spent a lifetime looking for mama. With no response other than a good-ass one. I come to find out, you know, that mother was not that she didn't love us, she just didn't have this expression or the words to go with that thing called love. So I'm always looking for something. I was always constantly wanting some attention. Bob mom hey hey, mom, ooh. You know. And if you didn't give it that way, you know, I'd get knew how to, I knew just what to do. I knew to do something to get your attention. Found that getting sick was another way to get attention, you know. I could get sick in a minute I'd break out into things and uh mom would take care of me I bleed you know break uh scar up I got a lot of scars I mean if you know talking about I don't know uh I just seem to get in way of in a way of things you know getting ready to run into things uh uh bleeding you know and bleeding and uh, burning and all this kind of shit you know mom would take care of me you know I got some attention so I, you know I use that very uh, liberally, because uh, I seemed to be sick all the time. I seemed to break out, as I said, break out in the thing. I'd break out into the thing, you know. Doctors couldn't tell me what, what it was because it was all with a case of it, saying, well, this baron is saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. And said, I think he got dermatitis. It's called I don't know. And uh, I didn't know that's what dermatitis was. I don't know, you know. Put this little salve on him, you know, and uh, keep it bandaged up or uh, patched up, and uh, he'll be okay. You know, that's about the extent of it. But I wasn't quite a, I wasn't a bad kid. I was a kid who was looking for some attention. And uh, I, you know, I was out there just kind of like raising my hand and asking for what I thought I needed in a sense of way of hey, uh Only way I knew how to is attract attention. It's any wonder that, you know, we we grow up and we survive our own insanity because, uh we don't know or don't have no direction to go. Uh, and I, you know, it's kind of a, kind of a safe thing that one time you could grow up in a neighborhood and say, everybody in the neighborhood, every mother, mother in the neighborhood was your mother in the sense of speaking, because she would whip your ass just as quick as your mother would, you know, and send you home and get you another one, you know. <coughs> but I wasn't a bad kid in the, even in the neighborhood. You know, I could change, change personalities very often. I could change personalities. Uh, I could be what you want me to be. It's called what do you want today, you know, and I could become that. And uh so I was changing hats very often in this process. Uh, in front of the, the authority figure or, or, or other parent authority in the neighborhood, I was a good kid. Uh, it was one of the kids that mothers would point out to say, why don't you like Bobby? He's such a good kid. Because I knew how to say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, can I help you, ma'am, you know. And I'd run errands and, and take care of things. And what do we ever do, do Miss Miss So-and-so? And, uh, you know, I was a good kid in the neighborhood. It's just when I left the neighborhood that I had a transition that took place. There was a corner in my town to say when you get to that corner, a whole transformation took place. Hacks turn around backwards, shirt tail come out, you know, uh, talk loud, drag a leg, and, uh, talk shit, you know, and steal something, you know. My first habit was stealing. I was thrilled to steal yourself. It just, it, you know, you're talking about getting a rush. I got a rush when I had your shit and gone, you know. Uh, and I'm not talking about robbing no trucks or nothing like that. We're talking about diamond diamond, 10-cent uh, uh, stores, you know, stuff, you know, a bag of, uh, of goodies, you know, uh, trinkets, you know, that I could share with my partner that made me feel like I was somebody. And uh, part of the thrill of getting away was exhilarating. You know, that kind of feeling, that, that kind of adrenaline rush you get when you, you not know, escaped, you know, and you gotta turn a corner on them, and, uh, and they didn't get to catch you, and you're sitting around there, and, ah, ah, ah. oh shit, that felt good, huh? And I'm, hey, I become a, hey, become an adrenaline junk, you know, uh, just called getting away with, with, with a thrill. Getting through, through school seemed not to be a great object, as said, that we find the ways and means to even get through school. Give them just enough to get back. I call it polishing the apple. I polish the apple just as good, you know, at, in the class and make it seem like I'm make, doing great guns in the class. Uh, the teacher said, well, I know he can do it. And they're always talking about that potential. I've seen that potential. You know how we show off one time that we can do something and then we don't, don't show it off no more unless we have to. We are forced into showing it off the next time. We seem to. Hold it, hold it on to it, you know, as a, a, a discovery. In case I need this here, you know, reaching my grab bag and let you know that I can do something. I got through school, you know. I had another great escape. One of my other great escapes was in books. In the covers of books, I could go away, be who I wanted to be, do what I wanted to do could trip out, get the cover of the books, be whatever character I wanted to be at any given time, and I just got to be be that, and I found out that I didn't have to worry about the world around me, because the world around me was not not comfortable, it was not a real picturesque surroundings in which I was grew, grew up in. So you can imagine, uh, when I found the covers of books, and I could get and travel uh all around the world, I could uh, have great adventures, I could be the hero, I could be the villain, I could be whoever I wanted to be, at any given time, in the covers of books. And I could just disappear. And so I lived in a lot of fantasy as a result of that. Lots of fantasy. I always wanted to be somewhere else doing something else with somebody else because I was never satisfied where I was. So I done a lot of tripping. I'd be in a classroom, and instead of going, I'd be on a trip somewhere. You know, I'd be in China somewhere, or or down in the in the jungles, uh, or flying off some building or something. You know, jumping over tall buildings and swimming oceans and all that other good shit. You know, uh, I could be there. You know, I just get into it. You know, I could really, really, really get into it. I could become the character that I wanted to become just by my imagination. And I was to carry that imagination, you know, you know, through life as terms of say, my great escape. So it was kind of a, this year thing that I'd done, you know, in terms of turning on personalities was well, a continuation of, of a turning on and turning off personalities as I thought was necessary. I was always ready to leave home and there's always a case of where you're going to run to. They have a lot of places for people, kids to run away to now. Uh, you have extended families where you can go to grandma's house, grandpa's house, auntie's house, cousin's house. Mom didn't have none of those attachments and those, uh, extended family, uh, contacts. She had cut the family, her family loose when she left home. She cut them loose. So we didn't have no extended family to go visit and to be a part of. So my family was what I had, you know. Uh, three uh, br- uh, brothers and sisters, and, and uh, so the five of us, you know, we'd fight amongst ourselves. You know, we form, formed our own little team, you know. Uh, and we didn't talk about what was going on and how we felt. We didn't talk about feelings. Feelings was one of these things that weren't talked about. I didn't grow up talking about feelings. Those were something that you weren't supposed to share with nobody about what you felt. And I don't know what I would have said if they would ask asked me what I felt, because they stopped asking me what I felt about anything a long time ago. And I knew not to bring the subject off because Mom got very uncomfortable when I started talking about what I felt or what I think I should have felt. It was one of those things that was not talked about. So I become closed mouth about what I felt and what was going on. Uh, or whatever difficulties I was having, I was just having those difficulties. And I'd have to get through them the best way I could. They didn't talk about them at family. They didn't have this here guidance things in, in the schools and things when I was growing up. They didn't talk about drugs when I was growing up. Drugs was a non-subject. It was only relegated to a few that, insignificant as far as drug addiction was concerned, it wasn't talked about. It was a non-subject. It was nothing talked about drug addiction and growing up and coming to school. So I had very little knowledge or information as to about this thing called drugs. My escape was, as I told you, reading, getting into things, and stealing. That was my addiction at the time. And I just relished in, you know, doing it as often as I could and feeling as good as I can as a result of doing it. So the first chance I get a chance to get away from home was uh World War II came along and they started drafting people, all my partners they started drafting. And, uh, I wasn't quite draft age yet, as yet, when the war started. But I was fast approaching that age. And I was about to, you know, enter into the thing called a manhood. Or man, what man was supposed to be about, you know. And I had very little information of what the position of man was supposed to be. Uh, my, Idols, as far as I'm concerned, was a stuck, just standing on a corner under the bright light, with the lights flashing, talking long shit and kicking ass and, uh, you know, and getting low. Uh, that's what man was about. Uh, they was rolling my the, the only role model I had in my neighborhood, that was the only role model that was around, that I felt was worthwhile to be emulating in any kind of way. The one person that they told me to stay away from is the one I wanted to be like. He was a he was, you know, he was a hustler, you know, and, uh, I called him a hustler. He was all about the same age. I think he was about a year older than I was. And he was already in the streets, you know, he used to dress good, you know, he used to drag his leg right, you know, and he used to smoke that shit, you know, and, and it, everybody would tell you, stay away from it. Stay away from Nate. Don't get away from Nate, you know. Said, Don't go any further than it seemed like we're having fun. And that joke was standing on the corner. That Joe standing in the corner on the light with the light flashing, he sounded like he was having fun. Cause he'd be laughing loud, you know, and ran back and talking shit, you know, and tattoo or three old ladies sitting in the car waiting there, you know. And, you know, I didn't know that he, the car didn't move, you know, shit. You know. <laughs> you know. That was their resting spot. That's what it was, you know, and the lights, you know, and, and in, the, in, the night, you know, when the lights are flashing, you know, it looks good, you know, you know, shit, the lights flashing, and they out there, and they hear the music in the background, you know, out there on the corner. You know, shit, it looks good to me. I, but I had nothing else to compare by, you know, uh, as to what was going on. Uh, I didn't know that's, you know, what you call, uh, they call it a pimpmobile. <laughs> it didn't move, you know. Uh, but, you know, those scenes, like, those are the bright spots, you know, and, uh, and right along about that same time, you know, that most of the, it said the fellas of age were being drafted and uh, taken off to the war camps, you know. And, uh, that left, uh, young Bobby on the street to have to take care of all these ladies out there, you know. And they were taking me home and, uh, and teaching me the game, you know, and, uh, and they turned me out and made me think I was a man. Hmm? Uh, felt good to me. I just had another thing to go with in there, you know. Uh, I had arrived, you know, and I thought, you know, thought that's that was the name of the game. That's what man was about, you know. And then it comes up to the thing, you know, about my time to go, get ready to go to draft and go to war. Me and my partner had the bright idea, said if we'd volunteer, we could go where we wanted to and make a choice as to what we wanted to do, you know. So since I was a man, and they said they wanted a few good men, I volunteered. Yeah. I hadn't been thrilled with no juice and none of this stuff yet you know I had great bad ideas I was going out and see the world and, uh, and make my great escape you know because as I said home was uncomfortable in the place to go they wanted a few good men go to war camp you know shit become a man I went to the war camp and find out that men done different things well at the end of the day the first thing was to say, let's have a good time the first thing we do who got the money we get the money together and we go get something to have a good time. Each experience was a bad experience. Started drinking that juice and was out of it half the time, and, and uh, I had no experience about doing these things, you know. And I didn't know what it was supposed to do. I mean, it said, you have us have a good time. Try some of this. I got sick on each occasion, I used something. But I didn't stop me from using. You know, I just had to get the game right. You know, we always think that we used it wrong. Because you didn't fall out. You didn't puke, you know. You seem to be having a good time. You laughed and tee-hee and ha ha and got into shit and it didn't bother you, you know. But there's some transformation that takes place that says undeniable. that I didn't know that's what you're supposed to feel. But how's somebody going to tell you and say, when you drink, you're supposed to feel this way. You're supposed to have fun. And each time I set out to have fun... It wasn't fun. I got sick. I puked on everything. I had eggs the next day, you know. And it smelled bad, you know. And it was always the case of me having to ask about the good time we had. But what happened last now? We had a good time. No, <laughs> <laughs> it started out that way. We was dancing and had the girl and got laid good and everything and said, it didn't end up at a good time, you know. Not when I wake up and say I'm in strange places doing strange things with strange people. <laughs> and so I ended up back to, you know, of that trying to get this game right, you know. Same thing with weed. I had the same thing with problem with that. You know, I wasn't having a good time. Shit, I was. I was out of it. Yeah, you know, I smoked out early. I didn't <laughs> smoked out early. You <laughs> know what was happening? Shit, i know what what's happening. i got this here hell of a chuck habit, and you know, and uh, not knowing what things there are and trying to feel, say, feel your way down the street. You know. <laughs> and they're telling me about the good time we had there. No, nah, no, nah, nah, we didn't have no good time. <laughs> man, a hell of a time, you know. <laughs> Same t- thing do I use her, the first time I use her, I said, try some of this, you know. And I tried some of that, you know. You know, after I finished puking and, and all the other shit that goes with it and nodding out and falling out and waking up and going on, you know, like... Uh, they say, you done it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> got to get the game down right, you know. You're a pig, you know, you're taking too much, you got See, each occasion, there was a transformation that takes place, and I think in everybody's usually experience, it does something. At some point, it seemed to make the world around me okay. It didn't make no, it got to the place where I didn't care what was going on around me. It was okay. I don't care what was going on, I was okay. It was okay. The world couldn't be falling apart. It was okay. As long as I got a nod on, it was okay. And you learn how to manipulate and play the game. I stayed in the military 11 years, and I learned how to play the game of how to get by. I always found the thing of getting by. It was the same thing I'd done in school. He polished the apple, polished the brass, up two, three, four real good, you know, and stay out of the man's face and, and tell to say, yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, sir, and no, sir. I'm going to do what I'm going to do anyhow. It was a regular. I knew how to do that. I used to do mom with that. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And don't mess it up anyhow. So I learned how to play the military game of of being something that you're not, you know. I learned something about addiction also at the same time. And one of the things I learned about addiction, uh, don't get too far from the connection. Very important, if you're gonna be a dope fiend, don't get too far from the connection. You know. And being in the military with one of these things, they 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 didn't take the connection with you. When they moved, they put you on order and put you on a plane or train or whatever, a boat, and uh, ship you. And didn't take the connection. Now you're gonna get sick, so you're gonna learn how to play the game. And how can I get something to take care of this this here animal while I'm in transit? If you can't carry enough with you, you got to find out what substitute you can do on the way on the way. And you find out there's a world of substitution out there. World of substitution. Sick bay's got all the codeine and and pills and shit in it, you know. And I found out there was a thing. uh, The military had a lot of of morphine. Hell of a substitute for heroin. Military had a lot of it. And I was a thief, you know. And so uh, we were in business. They had a lot of shit to sell, and I had a lot of business to take care of. (laughs) You know. And it was usually enough position or enough, uh, uh, rank to, to get by with a lot of things. You know, how you can skate by on a lot of things. And a lot of things you can put them off to something else happening. See, they didn't mind you drinking because they even furnished you with means, ways it means to drink. So they could always attribute to my behavior as to it, well, he was drunk too much. He was drinking too much. You know, they didn't know about this heroin thing, you know. But they didn't know about that morphine thing. And they tolerated a lot of, uh, things. As I told you, I was a good soldier. I knew how to flam, you know, do this your sham thing, you know, as, uh, how to get back. You know, you just, uh, you know, you say you polish brass a little more. You do a little few more yes, sirs, no, sirs, and standing tall and being a good soldier. And You know, you get your hand slapped down and get, take some money away from you, take a couple of stripes away from you. And, you know, confine you to barracks or you know, whatever the hell it's going to be and, uh hey, let you continue that crazy shit, you know. And you clean it up for a little while, you know. Don't be out in their face. You know, because sometimes you right up in their face. you got to stay out of their face, you know. Let it cool off a little bit. And that's the way I stayed in the military for a long time, you know. Uh, went to Korea twice. Uh, used all the time I was there. I think that's the way I escaped Getting messed up. My partners are getting messed up. I had a guilt uh, thing about being guilty because they were getting hurt and I wasn't. Huh? I felt that I wasn't getting my share. For some reason. Because a lot of them didn't come back and it was kind of a case of how do you, you know, uh, you get blown up or shot up and, uh, and I don't get, I don't get a nick. You know? Because I'm hiding out somewhere loaded. Most of the time. Doing what I gotta do, knowing how, how much you gotta do and how to do it, we learn how to, how to function at, at some, some, time at high levels. Because it's consistently the same thing over and over again. But knowing nothing about this disease called addiction, because nobody tells us about it, they telling us what not to use, but they don't tell us why we don't shouldn't be using this shit. They had a list of stuff posted on the bulletin board about that long of things you should not touch or or be bothered with or or get caught with. And we used to take and make a shopping list out of it, you know. A lot of places you got local pharmacies, you can go fill these here things. uh, You can speak, one of the things, addicts speak the same language. You know, drugs and things are are the same in Japan or China and so forth like that. You take them down the list and the doctor, hey, they know what's on that. The pharmacist know what's on that list. And they don't mind selling it to you. They're in business to sell. So you learn how to buy, you know, on the open market through that method too. But then they got the illegal market out there too that, you know, that you learn how to addicts all over the world talk the same shit, play the same game. We know each other and we don't have to speak the same language. Addicts all over the world speak the same language. Tell the same lies. Have the same stories in different places. So you learn how to maneuver in that particular surroundings. And this disease is our, like mine, was growing. It always gets worse and never better. I don't know why you think that at some point that some transition place in that your journey, you should learn something of how to get over better because you're more experienced now and don't know that this thing got you by the ass and just got you running like hell. And that's where, where, you know, this here journey took me in terms of my addiction. It carried me to this place that I didn't know what to do about this thing called my addiction. If you had asked me and told me that uh, what's wrong with you, I would have told you, you know, I'm okay. I can handle it. I can quit any time I get ready. Just don't want to. Hmm? Stayed out of the country a lot of years because of that. Because I could get drugs and, and not be hindered by the law if I stayed out of the country. And I found out how to maneuver in that World beyond that one place, that one corner. But this disease, as I say, becomes very obvious. It becomes a killer. It becomes progressive to the point of you will know that you got a problem. Nobody have to tell you you got a problem. It will become very clear to you that it's your problem and you better do something about it. Not that you're able to or willing to. It's just that you know something has to change. And you don't know when you ever you get ready for that change to take place. And I always wanted to do better. Most of the time, you know, I wanted to do better. I didn't want to be caught up in this thing called my addiction. But I was caught up in my addiction and, and, you know, my waking hour was a case of going to get some more somewhere. And it got to the place where it became, uh, uh said, the Army's concerned because I was not doing or being where I was supposed to be when I was supposed to be there. And I was just taking that equipment and, and riding off uh, off downtown somewhere, you know, and parking that vehicle and getting out and going to and get some stuff. And they don't seemed to like that. You yeah? know? And you become a target. And I was just another target out there, like dope fiends are. We stand on the corner and just wonder why the police come up there and sweep you off the corner and just can't understand what you put. I didn't do anything, you know. I was just standing on the corner, looking like a dope fiend. (laughs) We don't think that we look like dope fiends. You don't believe it, go out on the corner, on any corner there, on them hot corners, and you spot them. And then you wonder why the police can spot you. <laughs> why I got busted last time in the service was I was in Japan. I just got back off one of them trips, you know, because I had drugs over at all times. I had drugs when my coming or going, one of the two, I had some. And they were giving out bounties. Turn in the dope. They turn in the military dope <laughs> $25. I would have gave it a broad more than that. Yeah. yeah. But I got turned in and, and the thing about it is my career as a military dope fiend was coming to a head. <laughs> but first they were going to give me some time. So they gave me some time to think about this thing called addiction. They asked me before I got out did I need some help? And I said no, I don't need no help. I'm doing just swell. Yeah. <laughs> But after they gave me this time, they'd done a, a cruel thing. They put me out on the street. And I had to learn this here whole process in a, another way, in a different type of surrounding that I didn't unfamiliar with. I didn't know it had to do the things like they had to do it, uh, on the street. You know, like be a cattle rustler, you know, and run through stores and grab steaks and jump out of windows. and you know, <laughs> Get you a fast car, unconspicuous, and hopefully that you can get away. Those things you gotta get prepared for, but it takes a little, you know, uh, a little training, you know. <laughs> and I wasn't used to anything. I had been in the military too long, you know. I didn't know nothing about this shit, you know. Things you do on the street, yeah, shit, you know. I started learning how to do time on the street, you know, cause I became a regular. You know, get in the car, bob. Let's go. Yeah. And in California, they used to do a thing they called, they had a vag addict program. Uh, the program was, it said, hey, jack your sleeve up and take you to jail. If you had some marks on you, you went to jail for marks. Just the needle marks on your arm. You didn't have to be loaded on anything, you know. They're going to take you to jail. You just take you to jail on a regular basis. And If they catch you with anything, you got to go with that too. So I told you I was a thief, so I was always snatching and grabbing shit, you know. So they were always snatching and grabbing me, and, you know, I had I would catch me with the goods. You know, couldn't get away. Right? Most of the time didn't have a car. Cause my cars was your car. Cause <laughs> you went to jail, I had your car. Until <laughs> it wouldn't run no more. And they snatched me out of that too. One thing I was a mechanic, see, I used to, I was always fixing. I was greasy, bob was under somebody's car trying to get loaded somewhere, you know. Between whatever I was going to snatch and grab, you know, cause that's what I was doing. I was still snatching and grabbing, you know, and going to jail on a regular basis, you know. Playing cops and robbers, you know. Uh, don't have nothing to get away with but on hoofs. I had a hoof, it every day, you know, learn how to jump fences and you know, run, you know. That's my best game, you know. If I had a car, it was one of them $50 cars, it wouldn't go in too far. You know, one of them cars that we have around here, you said, I mean, I don't know how y'all get to got to the program of some people. They're driving up in cars now, shit. Damn. Got jobs, you know. <laughs> During the 50s and shit, they didn't have, most of the dope didn't have no job. You know, if he had a job, he was a rare breed, you know. <laughs> Somebody was taking care of him usually. That's usually the case there, you know. Uh, wife had a job, and mama had a job, and everybody else had a job, but they didn't have no job, you know. And the reason I know, because we used to run together, you know, we used to be in the same pot, you know. So going to jail was a, just a common thing, you know, just a, a regular thing, you know, in the jail, out of jail, in the jail. How bad the case you got this time, you know. You burglarized something, you got jacked up, you know, receiving stolen property, and, you know, all the crazy shit that goes on with this here thing called thieving, you know, uh trying to maintain a habit in everybody's dream. Every dope fiend's dream is to have the, have the bag. You get lucky and get the bag and think you done hit, you hit the gold mine. Hey, you got the gold mine now, baby shit. Hot damn, Yeah. And the only thing you do, you just throw that motherfucker away because you can't keep up with it. You can't buy no more because you use your own shit, you know. So it becomes that game you play, you know, you get out to jail and you go to penitentiary, you get out to penitentiary, you get your parole officer that you don't report to and all that kind of stuff, and you're going back to jail, you know, over and over again. How have I got to narcotics? And I wasn't through one of these here uh, looking for help. No, I was not help looking for help. I was looking for a handout. Uh, and this lady was, I was, one, one of the things is, is I think we play off of people because we find out who's going to help us. Who's going to help me now? huh? And I wanted a volunteer. I was, I, told you, I was always looking for a volunteer. Mom, uh, yeah, yeah A lot of mothers out there looking for kids to take care of. Bob was a volunteer. She had, you know, I volunteered all the time. I had to w- watch what I asked for and the people that I had to, uh, was going to volunteer and hang in there. You had to get one to hang in, baby, you know. Can't get one of them using, cause if you get one using, you're in deep shit, you know. Cause she's either getting out of jail or you're getting out of jail. Or she's going to jail and you going to jail. And ain't got no place for you to go when you get back out, you know. They can't put nothing on the book because they can't, can't do both. Huh? They can't take care of their habit and take care of you in jail. They ain't got time to write the letter. Huh? They put no money on the books. So you have to be discretionary as to how you going to get some help. You know? They have to get you some mama that's gonna stick in there. Hang in. You know, get you a tough one. I got a tough one, You know? She come down to the county jail and, and made a proposition that I could not refute. <laughs> Said, we gotta get married if I'm gonna continue to help you. Huh. No problem. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Go down and pay the bail, baby, shit, and get a lawyer. And, uh, and I do. Shit. Yeah. Next couple of years, I'd like to run the lady crazy. She did know how I was coming or going. I'd go to get a loaf of bread and be gone six months. <laughs> Call her from distant places with a sad story about them messing over me again. She got to the place where she'd pick up the phone. She'd hear me. She'd I'm in jail again, baby. They messing with me again. They messing with me. <laughs> well, at least I know where you are. <laughs> you didn't want to hear that <laughs> response, you know. It used to be a case of, well, I don't know where I'm going to get a lawyer. I don't want to get no money for, no bail money. I don't know where to, well, go talk to Susie, Joe. Well, she talked to everybody, you know, getting me out of jail, you know. And we played this game for a while, you know. I'd go to jail and she'd be glad to know where I was when I locked up. And I told you about this getting married thing was, uh, okay, uh, let's get married and let's uh, play house, huh? I do. <laughs> let's go take care of business. And I like to run the radio crazy, but people don't have our problems. do You know what they do when they get a problem? They go get some help. They don't understand the pain. Huh? She'd pick up as much as she could. She'd, you know, i just keep up, say, late at night and early in the morning. She you knew without coming and going most of the time, because so she'd try to go to work and, and she'd have to wonder where he is. Wonder where my is now. She'd just go down to the corner and ask her partner, where is he? You seen him? You know, well, I seen him two days ago. Oh, I think he's locked up. Uh, you know, whatever. So she went to get some help for herself. And in the process of going to get some help for herself, Somebody told her about a thing called Narcotic Synonymous. There's only one meeting in the world. She go find this information about this one meeting. <laughs> I told you, you better go check that out, baby. Shit, that'd be a trick. You no, know, they don't let them talk. Oh, don't be nowhere, you know, as far as uh, society was concerned, they can shoot them. That was kind of an attitude. In the fifties, they got tired of addicts just running through people's household and just messing up everything. They could say, they were thinking about. Uh, they got an island out here off off the coast of California that they were talking about turning over for dope fiends, like a leper colony, dope fiend colony, huh? Because <laughs> they didn't know what to do with addicts. We played games in jail. We played games everywhere. We go to jail and play games. We get out of the jail and we play games. You know. We have great intentions when we go to jail that we gotta clean it up and we're gonna take care of business the next time. Somebody was up there talking about tomorrow, the promises of tomorrow. Addicts don't have no tomorrow. You promise something promised you something about tomorrow, scratch it. You ain't gonna start doing it today, forget it. Better start on the journey right now. Addicts got this great potential. It means they ain't going to do shit. (laughs) They got the potential though. And it's surprising that we come here to Narcotics Anonymous and we're able to display some of the potentials that we have because we put them into action. We showed you that we can do some things. Collectively in this room we got a dearth of, uh, say, brilliance. Not in every, all things, but in some things. In many things that we find out that we are capable of doing when we start to do them. Well, what happened in this year thing? I, I'll tell you about the old lady. She told me about this thing, narcotics anomalous, and farther I'm concerned with than a foreign country. It's around Los Angeles. I didn't know Los Angeles was ringed with hills. I didn't know it was uh, had mountains all the way around Los Angeles. I was there a long time before I found out they had mountains all, all the Shit, I seen them hills over there. Shit, it didn't bother me. Shit, I wasn't going over there anyhow. Yeah, shit. I wasn't getting too far from the connection. I didn't get out of South Central L.A. Tell me about something about over the, over the hill. Well, it's over the hill. Over the hill where? You know, shit. Ain't got no way to get over the hill. Ain't got no car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I sent her over there to check this thing out, called Narcotic Nouners, over the hill. She boat over there some got over there and told me about people sitting around a table talking about solving our problems. So, oh, hey, that's pretty nice. Shit, Maybe I can go over and help them. Because <laughs> I had been worldly traveled, I knew a lot about drugs. I mean, what they do to you and how to get them. You know? And maybe I could be of some help to them. So I got myself a ride over the hill and checked this thing called off called Narcotics Anonymous. This one meeting, it was about 10 people there, 10 to 15, and half of them was nodding out. Shit, hey, my kind of place. <laughs> it was her idea yeah. now. I read number there. Yeah, go check this thing out, you know. It was always the case of, uh, who got a problem. Bob always had a problem. Yeah. Can, can you help me out? Can you give me something? I've always had my hands out. You know. Give me, give me, give me, give me. You know. And that's all they tell me to keep coming back, Bob. Yeah. And usually when I went to a meeting, I was loaded anyhow. So that's the way I went to the meeting. And since my problem was not alcohol, I'd get me a short dog to go to meet. Knock me off about half of it so I could get loose. Relieve the tension a little bit, huh? Uh-huh. And ask him a lot of these here outrageous questions. You know, how do you get a job? I need some money. G- g- give me, give me, give me. Uh, uh, what are the what steps? You know, shit. Bob could read. You know, if nothing else, he could read. Who wouldn't read? Bob would always read. Yeah, <laughs> Bob would read the chance. What happened to me in that? I worked the steps wrong. That's right. I could read. I didn't know why I was reading, but I could read. If I find out even after I got clean, you know, it didn't make no difference. I read a lot of things that I don't know what it means. I can say the word, put the peers and commas in the right place, but don't know what the word means. I was around here a number of years, you know, before I got to, uh, to understand what the real meaning of some of the things that were, were being said in the simple writings of Narcotics Anonymous in the steps. And I thought the steps would be changed, should be changed anyhow. <laughs> One thing, it had too many of them. <laughs> then it had things talking about God and spirituality. What that got to do about my dope, me being dopey? <laughs> have no reverence whatsoever. Or well, you don't understand. God ain't done nothing for me lately. Shit, you know. <laughs> and it's kind of one of these things that we come in the doors of our synonymous with not knowing what it can do or what can happen. And we come around often enough or so read the steps often enough that little glimmers of things maybe pop in. Or somebody will relate to you in some kind of off way. Something that's happened in your life. Maybe talk about your life in their life. And you say, wow, hey, I didn't tell him that. You know, they'd be relating my story, and they don't even know me. But if I was going to come to find out, we are mirrors of each other. Uh, amazing. We're mirrors of each other. We tell each other story, little bits and pieces of it at any given time. We, sometimes we think we're uniquely different and we're not like our fellows. Especially you dope fiends. Huh? Because y'all haven't been where I've been and done what I done. Huh? And y'all don't understand. Huh? You don't understand. But I used to have one of these here little books. Our early pamphlet had eight pages in it. Two pages with question and answers. And the rest of it was about who was that addict. The steps, the traditions, and just for today. That was it. But it was hip pocket program. Stick your pocket off, that little book off in your back pocket and truck on down the line. I used to take it to jail with me. huh? Because <laughs> I was going to jail because I wasn't clean up. <laughs> I was going to make my plea with the judge too. You know, every time I go down there, I make my plea with the judge. But what are we gonna do about this problem? You keep showing up above me with this, but this thing thing. I'll pull out this book and Your Honor, I'm going to Narcotics Anonymous and I'm going to... <laughs> So all you do is shake his head, you know. <laughs> that ain't gonna get you. <laughs> you can take that book and put it back in your pocket and go on up and block him up, you know. <laughs> This disease, virus always gets worse and never better. So if you have some great expectation it's going to get great or beautiful or f- fancy or something, scratch it. It's going to get shitty. This disease gets to be what they call terminal. It's out to kill you. Always out to kill you. I don't care how great you think it is today. Because <laughs> I know it sometimes in your... Your addiction, you have thought that you had reached that, the pinnacle of your success as being a dope thing. This is it. This is it. I, man, the stuff is right. <laughs> you know, your situation is right. Your surroundings are right. You, you got all the things, the comforts you need at the moment. It's going to get shitty though, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. There's no hope of it because that, that's the way it is. That's the character of this thing called our disease of addiction. It always gets worse and never better. Always. I don't care what kind of be a thrill you might be going through at the moment. Because you know we use it to get the thrill, to get that feeling, to make everything okay. You know that's what we use. We want everything to be okay. But we just don't know what okay is. We might be doing the best of everything and still not know what that is. Okay. That's enough. That's all right. I'm not feeling that bad. Well, we have a journey of growing up. You know, I'm just amazed, you know, you say we act like children, school kids. Uh, you know, the little thing we play here, uh, uh, we do it with reading the steps and reading traditions and we play the little game like they play in school. Huh? They teach these kids, repeat after me, everybody together kids. Hey, one, two, three. Yeah. <laughs> Mark of our immaturity. <laughs> but it's fun, huh? Fun, right? We have to know when to cut it loose, so. See, that's our problem. We, we want to have fun all the time. Huh? We want to get down serious and take care of work. That's what it is about growing up. You got some responsibilities to take care of. And we have to come here and find out about those things. We come here and we share those things. We do those things by, by guidance from one another. The people that comes ahead of us that have been there have done that share with you in some way of how they had to do it. And we have to do a lot of changing. And change is difficult if you're like me, because I'm a hard head. So I gotta prove it. You know, I like to get I think got I, I get burned good, you know, and get burnt more than once. Because I think I've done a twist the wrong way or something, you know. I I let do wrong the wrong way. Huh? I'm always you know putting myself in a trap. See, I'm my worth enemy. I'm my worst enemy. I set traps and jump in them. <laughs> And I mean nothing just once. I mean, I jump in that sucker often, you know. (laughs) You know, because I think I put the wrong twist on it, you know, or maybe I asked for it the wrong way, you know. I learned about prayer, you know. I learned how prayer worked, you know, because I didn't believe prayer worked. I had no prayer experience. I had no God experience. I'm gonna test God out. They said you forget what you pray for. I said, no, there's nothing wrong with that. Let me try this out. I got sincerely praying for shit, you know. Things that weren't intended for me. Things that were not good for me. But I prayed for them because I looked good, it tasted good, felt good. And shit, I'm going for it. Shit. <laughs> Give me two of those and three of those. <laughs> and let me try it out, baby. I always did want this to happen, you know. Shit, I got to begging for stuff, you know. And I got it. I had have a prayer to have it taken away, but I'd try it anyhow, you know. <laughs> and sometimes I want to try it every once in a while. I want to put it get it on my thing here because I think something I want, or you know, it looks good or, or it feels good or whatever the case is, it just thrills me to death and Baba and get off it and say, Yeah, let me have it, baby. I can handle it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And find out I can't handle it. It's not for me. It's not good for me. Huh? And I got to say, once I get my head hung off into the, the guillotine, I had, oh God, I didn't mean it that way, you know. So I don't know how to pray, pray. My big prayer is help. Huh? My big prayer is help. Cause I get to begging for shit, you know. I want it my way. And my way usually is screwed up. Because I have you know, understanding of what this state, this power called God. My God is so universal and so magnificent. You know, he runs everything and everything is in his power. And once I turn it over to that power and get out of the way and let it happen, I just become a participant in, in walking through this thing uh, called life and living. Learning how to enjoy our living is one of the things that we have to learn how to do. If you're like me, initially I was know how to screw up my living. I'd done a good job of screwing it up. In fun, thinking that it was fun because somewhere in the back of my sick mind, I had deprived some pleasure out of something that was ridiculous, perhaps. Or something that, that could destroy you because my case was different and you don't understand I think of all the people that, uh, you know, took the kind the of the chips, uh, or, or the books earlier today, uh, that came in here, uh, you, your, your using's been messed up. I, I thought, I thought I'd let you know. If, if you didn't come in here to stay clean, or to get clean, or to experience this thing called recovery, you've screwed up. <laughs> you're in trouble. Huh. You remember some of the, some of the joy that goes on in here and the laughing and and the plea, the pleasure of somebody else. And you say you, in the most inopportune time when you're hoping to get down, huh? That it blows up on you. Oh, you don't want to hear that shit just for today and keep coming back. (laughs) More would be revealed. Not when you're up there trying to get loaded. Huh? You want to hear that shit in your head? Huh? Don't want to talk about it, you know, because, you know, that's a disappointment. That's counteractive in terms of what I want to do. I want to get out of it. I don't want to feel life's life, what's happening in life. See, I'm never understanding that there is supposed to be some adversity in our living. It doesn't mean that we expect adversity, but that's part of living. It is part of living. If we had no adversity, how can we have the pleasure of when we don't have adversity going on? How can we have anything to compare with? Pain, no pain. Got something to compare with. Our body tells us certain things, we don't respond to it. It tell you when you need to be taking care of something. If you're like me, we ignore it. Huh? I ain't gonna take care of that thuggy. <laughs> Do we get enough pain that would, you know, the disease or something back in there and tell you, help! Huh? And then you become receptive to help that's available. But we go through this here, trials and tribulations of living. We learn something about what living is about. We learn something about this thing called maturing. Sometimes when we don't want to mature, because there's a job to be done. There is something you must do. There are some exercises you must do. You must take responsibility. You must do some of the things that are suggested. You must follow some steps that you don't perhaps believe will go to work until you try them and find out that they work, and they work real good. The 12 steps is a recipe for living. And it works real good may not work the way you want them to work all the time, but it works real good. Because we always sometimes we have already in our minds some fixation as to what the results are going to be rather than what they are. Sometimes we wake up and find out it done worked out better than I ever could imagine it working out. My discovery about God was I'm a clean four or five years around here to come to understand what God was all about, you know. There was an exercise of some things happening in my life that I had, I couldn't have had no answer for. They happening for me. Like, wow, baby shit, that's heavy, shit. Man. Where'd you die here before? Where were you? Shit, I, you know, I've been hollering before, you know. And come to find out, God works like God works. <laughs> you know, sometimes He gotta burn, hey, burn me on the ass in order to get my attention, you know kick me in the ass and say, I got your attention now. The lesson starts now. The steps work. It's a recipe that works real well. We must put these ingredients into our living and find out what the results are going to be. That's the only way that we usually know that this thing called our higher power, this thing called recovery, work is what is working for you. Not because somebody told you it's because it becomes your experience that it works and it works real good, but you have to become receptive to the idea that you're not in charge. you don't run shit. Sorry, folks, you don't run it. you know I come to find out you know the state of California didn't run it, my parole officer didn't run it, but he locked me up. You know, he ran that part of it, you know. But what he was doing, he was rescuing me. He rescued me. You know, because I was up there giving him a lip. I'm a bad mother now. I've been clean four or five years now. He said, come on in here. Shit. Put the handcuffs on. Let's go downtown. Damn. You know. What did I do now? You didn't do what, you didn't do what I told you to do. That's what you did. Yeah. So I'm going to lock you up and let you think about it. Huh? The circumstances that surrounded that, that, you know, places and people coming from places that I didn't even know. Next thing I'm walking on the street and I say, wow, that's heavy. Shit. You know, I don't know how he done that one, baby, but you, you work heavy shit, baby. You know, I got it. Huh? I understand who runs it now. I don't. And since I don't, I'm gonna turn it over to you. Huh? And that's part of that surrender, like, I don't run nothing. And since I don't run, I, I better turn it over to that that runs, because he seems to do such a much better job than I. And my life has become increasingly better. It has not been a case of thing without obstacles. It has not been things without problems within itself. It's there are only life problems and living problems in which I've been confronted with. It has been a time that I have to come, maybe answer to what I have done to my body in a physical way. I know many of us, I was talking to somebody at the table and we started talking about diabetes, you know. I just got that one a year and a half ago. Six or seven years ago, hepatitis jumped on me. I was not alone. There was a lot of us that found out had hepatitis C. And then when ca- cancer jumped on me, like, whoa, where'd you come from? You know, it put me in a state of, I wanted to give up. Yeah, huh? I wanted to give up. And I don't mean to give up in terms of using, in a sense, it was just kind of like something inside of me, like, is that all there is? You know, uh what next? I don't know what next is, you know, I don't run that department of next, yeah, I don't run that department when I hit the floor in the morning, still breathing in, i ah, wow, shit, let's get the day on, baby,, shit. you know that's all I got a good breath of fresh air and, and hit it. Go down and find all my t- all the utensils and things work okay. Shit, I'm in business. I'm in business. I'm on spare time anyhow. Yeah, I just had a birthday two days ago, huh? Yeah, another thing, y'all. find out, you know, how the difference between the people that say forty-some years and people that got two or three years, you know, like I lived a lot longer. I'm seventy-five years old, folks. <laughs> so it didn't happen overnight. See, it didn't happen overnight. I've been blessed, you know, to experience another day. So I have to be grateful for that. You know, I got. I'm on ball tank. I don't know about borrowed time, but you know, extended time. Let me put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Anything I got coming is a blessing. I just look around me and say, look at my compadres and the, and the people that I've, uh, you know, not only talking about the ones I've had to bury, but the people that I'm living with today. I'm not in as bad, as bad shape. Hey, then I'm what it is. It is what it is. And I look forward to each day. I look forward to enjoying each day. I look forward to still enjoying my living, as much as I got of it. I'm not afraid of dying anymore, folks. My biggest thing is afraid of living, eh? And all the shit I got to do in this thing called living. But I don't have to. Do it, don't have to do it alone. I have you to share it with. I'll call you up on the phone and say, man, I got a cricket in my back and my neck not straightening out of the way. And they say, come on, get your ass out of bed. I'll be over there. Let's go out and have some breakfast or something, you know. Life has become very simple. Very simple. I'm usually the one that complicates it. Because I want to read more into what's supposed to be happening than it is. If I just keep it simple as it is. Wake up each day with some direction in my, in my life in terms of working the steps, carrying the message, and helping another addict to try and make another day. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing today, trying to carry the message to the addict and letting you know that addicts can stay clean over long periods of time, even with adversity, and learn how to enjoy that living, because hopefully you came here to learn how to enjoy your living. Well, we like having fun. So all you got to do is say, let's have some fun. We stop everything and go have some fun. Shit. <laughs> well, that's just the nature of daddy. Okay? We know what you're going to do before you do it. Because we just like you. And we're going to do the same thing also. Recovery is okay. I hope for you that you're, uh, you know, uh, up to the task of wanting to do better wherever you are, whatever you're doing. You don't have to do it alone, and don't try to do it alone. Don't try to do it alone. And I know how we like to retreat and hide out, because that's just part of the nature of the addict. He likes to go in a hole, hide out. Come on out here and let's holler out and say, help! And see what steps up to the plate. That's all. Sometimes all you got to do is just holler out, help, and see what comes up. That means that you surrendered it to that that runs it all. That's all. Because you don't know. But we find out together. We have this discovery together of how this thing works. It's a good thing about living and enjoying living. Because that's what I'm about today. I'm learning how to enjoy my living each day. There are many things that are not finished. I got a lot of unfinished business a lot of things that I need—I would like to take care of or or straighten out or to fix or, or to do whatever has had to be done. I just had to become willing to do those things. That don't mean it's going to happen, but I'm willing. I'm willing. And I haven't given up on living. I haven't given up on it yet. But I'm not afraid of living today, and that's important. Whatever might come down the pike, I know I don't have to do it alone. Don't have to do it alone. But whatever my situation would be, or whatever's going on, I can usually holler somewhere in this room here, somebody's going through it or gone through it, or about to go through it, and maybe we have to walk through it together. Whatever. Because that's the way it works. So don't give up on yourself. Learn how to make the most of what you're doing today, and learn how to live and enjoy it. Ask if that's what you want to do, enjoy your living. Ask how somebody else do it. Find somebody that you see that seem to be enjoying their living. Ask how you do it. Step up to him, them. How you doing that shit? See, these few that got time to stand on the wall and say, I don't know I don't know what to do. Go over there and ask them to help you. That scare them most of the time. You know, like, damn. You mean I got to get up at night and take you to meeting and come by and listen to your shit? You know. <laughs> I know that's where it is, cause sometimes I don't want to be bothered. Damn, you? Call me on the phone and tell me that you want to go to a meeting, you got a problem. My favorite program's on, shit. (laughs) (laughs) If that's the case, invite them over. That uh, maybe they didn't get involved in a program, they don't have a problem. Do what you do to make you feel better. That's how you do that. But we find ways and means to do that, do those types of things. This is a place of recovery and discovery. We've grown tremendously since the time of our we first had one meeting. We've gone as far as China's even interested in narcotics anonymous. They just came back from China about a month or so ago. They got addiction running out their ears, running out their ass, really. <laughs> They have a hundred percent recidivism in their addiction, addicts in, in that particular country. A hundred percent. That's not much hope. But it has a lot to do with their their philosophy and, and, and culture, has a lot to do with what's going on. It's like you're committed, if you commit yourself to be an addict, you're an addict for life. And we ain't gonna give you no help whatsoever but to lock you up or shoot you. <laughs> They got 100% recidivism, you know. And they ain't not crying in that sense, but they know they need help. They know they need help. So recovery is alive and people are looking at what recovery is all about. They know it's not a thing you buy or purchase. It's something that happens in a spiritual nature amongst people. Uh, uh, one person helping another. So you may be you know, those people uh, out here in this audience here might be a part of that recovery in another place, a distant place. Because recovery is well all over the world. You'd be surprised some of the remotest places in the in the world where there's not a kind of I was up in near the Arctic Circle up there in Sweden, up there near Norway and Sweden. Right, I think it's about it's one meeting a week, and there's about six addicts, Way out there in no man's land. Holding a meeting. <laughs> You'd be surprised at some of the things that are going on as far as narcotics synonymous in, in the back worlds, backwoods of, of the world. That want recovery. You get addict, uh, 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 drugs everywhere, as I told you. There's no problem about getting drugs. Anywhere you go. You just have to name a different brand perhaps, but you can get drugs anywhere you go. But if you want recovery, must find a way where people are recovering in order to get to think I'll recover. So come and be with us as we go on this journey of recovery and discovery and learn how to enjoy this thing, enjoy your living. You find out the rewards come into doing when you feel something about this doing these things, helping another addict recover from their addiction. Because you in the process do some of your recovery at the same time. And perhaps the last person to come in that door might have one day might be bringing you the message that you need regardless of how long you've been here. We never know. Many times a person has stepped through the door with just a few days or a few months and bring me the message that, that I need to have for that particular day. It's a life answer. Like, wow, where did he get that shit? In? You know, It's amazing the way, way this year, the messages have been delivered to me. So I don't count nobody out in terms of how long you've been here or how long you haven't been here that you might have what I need for that day. Because God has many messengers he don't particularly choose who he's going to send at any given time. So stay here until I get to maybe not know you by name but I know you by sight and I know you by what, who you are and what you're doing that you're another addict in recovery and hopefully you can help me in my recovery at the same time. I want to thank you, and you've been very gracious and a nice group, and I get a chance, as I said, to know all of you at any given time. But we might have to recognize each other on this road, this journey called recovery. I want to thank you, and uh, all be well. Thank you.